Hello and welcome to the Customers Who Click podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Mick Rigby, the CEO of Yodel Mobile, one of the best mobile growth agencies around. We're going to be chatting about the mobile customer journey and how it differs to the standard digital journey you'd expect online, how the marketing mix differs, particularly as channels such as Facebook have become quite congested, and some top tips on how to approach launching a mobile proposition for your business. Having worked in mobile from the very start of my career, I know how different it is for both the customer and the business. Your approach to acquisition is different, onboarding is different, and retention is different. And I think a big part of this is that in a lot of cases, the app itself is the product or service. And there's definitely an attitude of, if you build it, they will come. And because of this, a lot of businesses are failing to properly engage and retain their customers. But without further ado, here's Mick Rigby. Hi, Mick. Welcome to the podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Um, why do you do what you do? Hi, Will. Wow. Straight in there, mate. Do you know what? I've, I've been working in business for probably 25 years or more. And I guess at the moment, that this is the most exciting time in the most exciting industry I've ever been in. So I, I genuinely enjoy working in this app marketing element, uh, part, part of the, uh, the, the mobile infrastructure. So what does a, a standard day look like in the life of Mick Rigby? So just for your listeners, this is currently being recorded 24th of March. So we're, we're just on coronavirus lockdown. So uh, very probably, different today than, than, than normal. Probably changed but, quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, but a, a, a typical day, which will hopefully, uh, which will hopefully be back back in in the next sort of couple of months time um eh, what would i do so I, I normally get the train early in the morning usually just after seven uh so i'll probably do about 15 minutes of headspace meditation on the train and then just crack on with emails uh doing working documentation planning the day out so when i do get into work uh i tend to spend the morning sitting down with various members of the teams um troubleshooting putting together new business proposals that kind of stuff afternoon tends to be sort of documentation work and then uh, pretty much same on, on the on the train journey home but I'm a great believer in make, making the most of, of my time my work time and then when I do get home I'm at home um, uh, and that's it for the, for the day I, I try not to look at emails or respond uh, in the evening or night time to, to requests yeah so you're not a not a get up at 5 a.m do an hour of work then you know, get on the train, and then when you're back, do an extra hour, and always on Slack or emails. No, I mean, interesting. You mentioned Slack. Slack. Slack is a Slack is a challenge. Uh, Slack can can infiltrate your life when you least expect it on your mobile phone or your your laptop or your iPod. So, learning to manage Slack is 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 I think something that I'm really trying to to get my head around at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I, I love it. Really great tool, but it can dominate your day if you if you're oh. not careful you you can get really bogged down that's it i mean you know if you don't turn it off or you don't turn turn off your 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 notifications and you're trying to write some strategic work or do some planning it's it's really difficult to concentrate yeah um so tell us a bit about the company tell us a bit about yodel yeah so we we're uh we're, we are an app growth agency. Um, we are a, a global a global player, although we're primarily based in London. Uh, we do have representatives uh, it, over in the States. Most of our business is over there, but we, uh, we've been around for about uh, 13 years now. Uh, we launched before the iPhone 
um, as a mobile agency, so hence the name Yodel Mobile rather than Yodel, Yodel Growth or Yodel App. But um, our focus is, our, I guess, ensuring that our clients' app businesses are as successful as possible. So we do full end-to-end app growth support on, uh, on, on any client from a marketing perspective. So everything from organic discovery, paid user acquisition through to virality, user retention, um, uh, data, uh, data architecture, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're pretty much a one-stop shop for anybody that has an app and they want that app to be as successful as it possibly can be. Okay, great. And uh, when you mention retention, does that include things like CRM? Or are you more focused on how the app itself can work to retain people? Yeah, I mean, CRM plays a really big part of that. Um, You know, the biggest challenge for any app business is retaining their users. Um, It's not often talked about in the space where most businesses and most, uh, I guess, most app publishers are, are, are all looking for user acquisition. That's great. But if you're not retaining those users, then you don't have a business. Um, And you know, I think it's on average, it's about, uh, you lose about 80% of your users within three months uh, on average across the app space. So, you know, arguably 80% of, of every penny you spend in user acquisition has been wasted over uh, after three months. So CRM, uh, utilizing the tools, whether that be email or push notification in app messaging to bring people back into the app at the right time for the right reasons uh, is a vital part of building up that relationship with those users. I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, the right, the right time for the user, and the right reasons. I think, you know, some companies get a bit over enthusiastic about it and send out a few too many pushes or they, they might pick up on what they feel is an opportunity to send someone a push, but actually it's just, it's a bit intrusive. There's, there's no real yeah. need for the message. Whereas yeah. the app, the apps that do it on behavior and have, have, have smart triggers in place, they're the ones who do it really well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, every single one of your listeners out there will have had annoying push messages coming to them time and time again. And undoubtedly, most, most, most of those apps that do that then get deleted. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Having, having, the right. having the right strategy in place, understanding how your consumers would want, your users would want to be communicated to. And also just putting in, putting in place the right kind of functionality that understands that if somebody hasn't responded to a push, you know, over the last two or three days and you've pushed every day is, okay, we need to try something a bit different and we need to do it at a different time uh, and we have to make it more relevant. Um, and the payoff is huge. The pay, if you get right, the payoff is huge. It means that you can minimize or, or reduce your, your uh, acquisition spends. It means that you are building up a strong relationship with those users and arguably building out a virality strategy because you're building a strong relationship with those guys and get, getting those users to share with other users to bring their friends and family into the, into the app for whatever reason. So, you know, can't say enough how important it is. Yeah, completely agree. You know, it's a bit like well, online, on normal kind of web-based businesses as well. You know, if emails aren't being read, aren't being clicked, don't keep sending the same thing. You know, look at how you can change things up, experiment, segment your, your customers better. Um, yeah. If you've got push notifications that are going out that aren't being interacted with, 
is it is it the right push notification uh or could you target that that customer with something different yeah cool do you want to tell us a bit about how how does a customer journey differ for a, a mobile first or mobile mobile only business compared to one that is maybe uh, focused on online or traditionally a more of a browser-based online business yeah they're it's completely chalk and cheese they uh, you know the, the 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 digital journey is very much you know a search or a click on an ad um, or a click on a link and it takes you straight through to the website um, you know so there is one step with with a with a, a specifically an app based journey um, you know time times it by four or five because you know you've got a search or a uh, an ad uh, that you click on it takes you through to the app store and then you uh, you have to have a compelling reason for that individual that's on the app store listing to to then press the get button and then once they've pressed the get button that that app has been downloaded to their device they still haven't opened it and then you need to get them to open it and then once they've opened it they've got a very small screen probably with a brand or, or experience they've never they've they've never come across before so there's an education piece so suddenly you've got that comparison between the digital journey which is one step through to the the app journey which is five or six steps um and understanding that and understanding that every single one of those steps is an opportunity for your uh, potential uh customer user to uh to walk away from you uh, is really, really important because you then need to understand and focus on how building out that initial download funnel uh, to make sure it's as effective as possible. Um, and then we can talk about the in-app funnel a little bit later on if you want to, but you know, that, that, that is absolutely key. Understanding there are a number of steps you have to go through uh, is, is the difference between uh, success and failure when you're coming from a digital background. Yeah, so I suppose you could almost compare it to like a, a, an e-commerce purchase on a website, but for the app, you're going through that entire e-commerce purchase just to download the app, and then you've actually got the real customer purchase experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the hard work doesn't just stop there. You know, you've got these guys; they've registered, they're in the app. You know, that's when the real hard work starts. Uh, we touched on the CRM process, you know, building relationships. You've got that continuous onboarding piece. Um, you've got an education piece within there with overlays and and various pop-ups to take people into other aspects of the app. Yes, yeah, so you mentioned the in-app experience as well, so we we might as well uh, we'll move straight onto that. Um, yeah, how kind of what what differences do you see with uh, in the the actual kind of on-site versus in-app experience? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the, the technology, you know, the technology is fantastic in, in the app space. You, you know, the tendency for people to build in, in um, native languages for iOS or Android um, and the tools and functionality uh, is, it tends to be very, very good. I think a lot of app, app um, developers, you know, are, are building very intuitive um, products now um, so you've got you've got a lot of ease of use and 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 um, you know this intuitive nature of of usage, which is great. 
but for people coming to the app for the first time who have perhaps never used Surface, let's say you're a, you know, a ride-hailing app or you're a, a holiday booking app, um, you've got a small screen, um, you know, you have, to, you have to maybe spend a bit of time educating yourself how to use that. When you come to the digital space, it's second nature. So, you know, that, that, that in-app experience from an education perspective um, uh, be- becomes re- really important, especially for a brand, uh, uh, an app that has perhaps, you know, new to the market, um, doesn't have a, a particular relationship or, or brand saliency understanding, you know, like, like some of the bigger brands that, that are out there in the digital space. Uh, so you've got to work a little bit harder as an app business to, 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 to really sort of help the, the, the user through those initial education steps. Yeah, definitely. And obviously on the, the screen you've got, there's different ways of actually interacting with the screen as well. You know, on uh, some of the more modern phones you've got, um, I'm not sure exactly what the term is, but, you know, the amount of pressure that you actually place on the screen can change how you interact with an app. You've got swiping from the side up and down, um, none of which you have on the website. You would yeah. have, you'd have pretty much everything there on the screen. You've just got your menus on one side and whatever. Um, so, yeah, kind of trying to almost in a sense, rely on people understanding that those features are there and they can do that with their phone, but also nudging them a little bit and making it obvious that that, that feature is there in your app. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting you're talk, talking about features and nudging them. I think this brings us into a really, a really interesting area as well, which is the ability to continually test. So using the right tools within your app, um, testing how people are, uh, are using the app, you know, the buttons they're pressing, uh, the, the placement of buttons on the page, um, on the screen, um, the color of the buttons, for instance, the size, all these kind of things can be done um, either uh, either natively or, or, or on the fly with, with various tools. And, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in, in continually um, testing, learning, and making changes if there is a relevant, if it's relevant to make those changes, because those small improvements, you make multiple small improvements, they, they, they add up um, and, and can have a genuinely uh, decent impact in the, you know, user retention and user usage and, and arguably pushing people down to subscription or purchase if required. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is uh is testing with an app within an app uh, as easy as it is on the website? So, you know, on a website, you can install a bit of JavaScript and, and kind of just get going. Yes, yes, it can be. I mean, the, 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 what you have to do is integrate certain SDKs. SDKs, are, I believe it's a, a, system, it's a system development kit. It's a piece of coding, basic, basically, that you, you put in, and that coding allows you to do certain things. So, you know, c- certain tools allow you to do push notifications um, and manage that. Certain tools allow you to do testing. So as long as you, as long as you code it in, it gives you the opportunity to, to do that kind of testing. What about the marketing mix? So when you're actually looking at growing your clients' apps, does the mix differ at all? To a, I mean, obviously you have mobile-specific channels, but uh, do, do you tend to use traditional channels as well and websites to grow apps? Or do you find that actually the majority of my f- mobile growth comes through the app-specific channels? 
I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer on, in, in picking the lowest hanging fruit. And uh, what I mean by that is if people are in that app environment, um, they're using apps, they're more likely to, um, to consider downloading an app uh, at that particular particular time, so you know the, the vast majority of what what we do as a business or what the, the channels we utilize as a business are specifically driven to um, the or specifically fit into the mobile and the app space. Now, don't get me wrong; I think there's an awful lot of value with non-app specific channels uh, for various reasons, whether that be a branding reason, an education reason. Or, or even uh, in in the digital space, you know, allowing individuals to get to 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 then go through from digital to the mobile space. Um, so you know, lo- lots of good reasons to do it. But um, nine times out of ten, the real focus, and certainly our our focus as a business, is is within the app environment and the mobile environment. What are the important things a business should consider if they're put, maybe launching their first app, or um, maybe if they're going to revamp revamp an existing app um yeah are there any yeah w- w- are there a couple of things you'd, you'd really recommend focusing on and do you see any common or big mistakes that uh, you know a lot of apps tend to do um in, in the process of launch yeah, actually launching an app yeah I, th- I think one of the one of the biggest mistakes most app businesses tend to do if they're launching an app and obviously talking specifically about that launch and you know the the, the run-up to that launch itself uh, is is launching completely unprepared you know the 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 it, it, it can be a very expensive business uh driving users to your app but but launching without having the right data architecture in place, the right tools and analytics suite in place to give you the insight you need on your users, both from where they're coming from to you, whether that's from ads or what channels within the ad space, Facebooks and so on and so forth. Um, and also understanding what you can, what, what those users are doing within the app when they're there. Um, and you'd be surprised how many businesses launch and then come to us and say hey things aren't working what do we do and those particular businesses haven't got the right kind of data architecture in place um you know the building building an organic strategy for discoverability is really important as well and we touched on it a little bit earlier in 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 the podcast but virality if you can factor virality in, in into it in terms of getting members to share with members or by the usage of the app you you're able to draw in um, uh, other, other, other sort of data points that can allow you through the user to share with other people um, are, are all really important. Um, but I think the biggest mistake most app businesses take when they launch is they, they tend to come at it from a perspective as, look, this is the next best, best thing. This is going to be a super big app. These, our users are going to really want this. And a lot of the time, those those businesses haven't researched it. They haven't asked those users if they really want it. They haven't got. They haven't done research groups um, to to really understand what the key points are within the app or how how the app should be uh, um, delivered, uh, what the journeys will be within the app. Um, but really importantly, as I say, just making sure that those users really want the user because you know if they don't if there is no re- reason for that app then you know why why are people going to download it 
um, they're not. Yeah, I've definitely seen that um, happen a few times where uh, maybe there's no actual real need for the app, um, but also apps get a bit over-engineered. Um, people get too too close to the project and start to kind of lose sight of it, lose sight of the actual user experience. So when users do come into it, they're looking at it going, this is a bit complicated or, um, you know, I, I don't know why I have to jump through these steps. And then actually when you step back a bit and, and get some user research in or, or you kind of, uh, you know, get some new staff members, for example, to, to run through that user experience, you, you kind of find those problem points where even the new staff are going, well, I, I don't, I didn't get why I had to fill in this form or why I had to upload this in order to use the app. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's very easy for, for 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 individuals in the business to get too close to it, and and you know the, the old saying, you don't see the wood for the trees. You know, there's there's fundamental things going on with the app that you just can't see, and it does take a fresh pair of eyes to to really point that out. Yeah, um, you mentioned virality quite a few times. Have you got any examples of uh, companies doing it well or? just examples of features and processes around making that work really well for apps that maybe don't have it as a natural feature. So obviously something like WhatsApp, it's, it's a communication tool. You're going to share it. You're going to, you're going to invite your friends, but there yeah. might be other apps out there where they, they want the, the business wants to get the referral because it's a cheap way of getting new customers in. But as yeah. a user, you might not have any real reason to do that except for maybe a 10 pound referral fee. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's two. You've kind you kind of said it. There's two, there's two two kind of strategies that they're not exclusive. But you've got non-incentivized um, referral, and you've got incentivized referral. A non-incentivized referral tends to happen if there is is a need for that app user to be able to contact other people so your your comments about whatsapp is is very valid um in addition to that you have non-incentivized referrals which are um which are done because the app is 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 having a a positive benefit to that individual and they want to share that positive benefit with other people or just enjoy what they're enjoying so making sure that that is communicated and, and 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 actionable within the app um, becomes very much part of that um, non-incentivized strategy. So asking users within the app if they're enjoying it and they want to bring share it with friends, making sure that you have um, you know, buttons for sharing and making sharing as, as easy as possible within the app through the tools that are available both natively or or can be integrated through sdks you know uh, again really sort of works to, to push that that kind of strategy then you've got the incentivized um viral strategies which are, are built built around the reason um that the individuals you know benefit from sharing it with their friends and their friends can benefit from that particular uh, from the app being sent to them by, you know, whatever it is, a discount on their subscription. Um, and the key there is to really understand your metrics. So if you're incentivizing, making sure that whatever the incentive is to encourage those people to, to A, share and B, download and use um, is, is, a, is a financially viable incentive. 
Yeah, you know, so in a very simplistic way, let's say the cost per acquisition of a registered user for an app for, the, for a particular app business was $3. You know, if you can get people to share and you can get new users for $2.50, it, uh, utilizing an incentivized uh, process and those users are valuable users, then that is by far a more cost-effective way of acquiring those users or supplementing your paid user acquisition activity to bring in a lower cost user. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah, both, both work in the right uh, circumstances. What do you think about, or do you have a particular opinion on incentivizing with cash or incentivizing with or cash or credit or incentivizing with uh, usage of the tool or the, the product. So for example, you know, Netflix might give, might have the option of giving 10 pounds cash or credit to you or giving you a free month and just that messaging, whether that uh, impacts it and whether you think one is maybe better than the other. Yeah, I, I think, I think it all, de- it, it depends. I don't think there's one definitive answer here. I think it all depends on, what what the app is the category what what clearly what the offer is um you know psychologically there's there's real value in understanding you know the financial value of 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 what um or the perceived financial value of of what the user um gets and and if you can translate that into you know dollars or pounds uh in their heads you know, psychologically, that works far better than oh, you get a free month. Um, and it, you know, it, it's 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 age-old marketing tactics, and you know, age-old marketing tactics still work today. And we shouldn't we shouldn't forget some of the learnings of the past um, because we've got this this wonderful brave new world of digital and app and, and app marketing solutions uh, because some of the stuff that that was has been you know, instrumental in driving consumer usage for the last hundred years, the principles are still very, very relevant today. And, and marrying them with the tools that we've got in this new wonderful digital age uh, will undoubtedly make any app marketing or mobile marketing solution more effective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, stuff, stuff from 50, 60 years ago might not be completely relevant now but it's still there's still something there there's a reason it worked back then and then we're still kind of the same kind of the same people uh, yep. you know so it's a, it, applying kind of learnings and knowledge from back then and applying it to to different channels and, and new methods for for acquiring users yeah ab- absolutely um you know the 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 you're right. I mean, consumers are very different to to where they were, but some of those principles are still very relevant. What are some common myths or misconceptions around mobile marketing that you you either hear from clients or potential clients, or maybe see on social media? I, I, th- I think it's this it's this myth that if you build it, they will come, um, and and I still think it's very prevalent today. Um, you know, the newspapers when they're having a bad news day or a slow news day. You know, there's often a story of the 19-year-old that built a nap in his bedroom and he's just sold it for, you know, $15 million. Um, it's hard work. It is really hard work to make um, an app successful. And the reason being is because there are a good 6 million plus apps out there. 
across both stores. So you've got a hugely crowded marketplace, even if you believe that your app is unique. Every single app that's in that space is looking for app users like the users that you're looking for for your particular app. So, you know, it's a hugely crowded marketplace. The, the, the users are sophisticated. You know, we, we, we in the UK download less than one app a month now. Um, so to, to convince somebody in the app space that's on the app store to, to download your app rather than somebody else's um, is, 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 is vitally important. You know, so how do you do that? You know, you've got to have a good product. You've got to have five-star ratings and so on and so forth. So there's an awful lot of hard work that goes into making sure that all of those marketing elements and product elements are, are working in order to encourage somebody to, to, to download that app. Um, and it's getting harder because, you know, two years ago you could spend a few hundred dollars on Facebook and get a few hundred downloads. Now there's such a demand for, 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 for Facebook as an app download channel. The prices have gone up. There's, there's more competition in the space. Um, you know, uh, so, so acquiring users, um, in many ways has actually gone up as well. So, you know, coming back to that myth, if you build it, people will come. Um, that's not the case. The, 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 the most important thing is, is to have a good, solid product that works, that people want, is to make sure you've got uh, enough cash in the bank to be able to support the growth of that product. Um, and also uh, putting the right, getting the right experience and understanding as part of your team, whether that's internally or externally through an agency or a consultant like ourselves. Um, and by doing that, you're going to avoid some of the big mistakes, big expensive mistakes that a lot of businesses um, have made and will continue to make. Um, so there you go. It's, it's not easy to launch an app and make it successful, but you need to have the right tools in place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned Facebook's getting more expensive. Um, I think that's true of a, a lot of channels. In mobile, are there any uh, are there any channels where you, you pretty much have to go through an agency to get into, or is everything open to anyone? So, could if I, if I wanted if I went onto what Upwork or Freelancer.com, got got someone to build me an app, do yeah. I would I as an individual have access to to everything? Yeah, I, I guess I guess you would. I mean, that's a really interesting question. That's never been asked me before. But you know, you're right. I think. I think most of most of the channels, most of the tools, most are, are out there. I think where where an agency makes can make a, a, a massive difference is in their knowledge and expertise and experience. Um, you know, if 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 a business like ourselves, you know, we've launched I don't know two hundred, two hundred fifty, three hundred apps over the last ten, twelve years. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've had some great success. We've also made mistakes. And, and on the back of that, we as a business understand what the more likely channels, solutions, tools are that you need to, levers are that need, you need to pull to, to be successful. We also know what the big pitfalls are. So as a consequence of that, you know, we, we can help our clients um, to, to avoid those very expensive pitfalls that invariably most app businesses uh can make yeah and i suppose as a as an agency you've got 
a much better, much more visibility over the entire app ecosystem to you know what's might know what's working in other categories, what's not working in those categories, and whether you know if if suddenly downloads spike in a certain category, you might be able to use that knowledge to actually benefit other category apps. Yeah, you know, I I would say this because obviously I run I run an agency, but I think the value in that experience um, and knowledge across you know the broad the broad app ecosystem um, that it's it's hugely valuable. It's hugely valuable, and as I say, can save can save a huge amount of money. What about pet peeves? What's, do you have any pet peeves in marketing, or a particularly I guess, particularly when it comes to apps, but I guess if there's something else there, yeah, feel free to mention that. (laughs) Yeah, let's touch on what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is old school marketing. Yeah, you know, I I think with with all the tools, um, with with the speed of distribution of of advertising opportunity, with the scale that you can you can generate very quickly utilizing the likes of Facebook or Google universal um, ads or whatever, you know, that there's a tendency, I think for, for a lot of marketeers to be driven down the, the channels and, and be excited about all the, all the tech that's available for it to you to, to try and reach those users and bring them into the app. But you know, the, the old, some of the old uh, ideals of, typical marketing, price, place, promotion, strategy, all those kind of things are still very, very valid. And, and as I said before, you know, if you can marry old school thinking and success with the modern tools and channels you've got, you're going to be far more successful than just throwing everything at Facebook. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, you asked about pet peeves, you know, really don't forget about some of the good stuff of the past. You know, it's still very relevant today. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, a lot of marketers, a lot of companies focus on short term, uh, and you know what's what's getting results now. Um, and while I'm I'm not the biggest fan of brand marketing, I think there's uh, yeah there's a tendency to try and get the sale right now, put an ad in front of someone, we want them to purchase it. Whereas people could probably spend a bit more time building up relationships with customers, um, showing off what their brand is about. Um, I read a really interesting thing uh, today or yesterday about Marks and Spencers, actually. And they, um, I think in World War II, they shifted a lot of their production into uh, certain types of clothing that were really, really useful for, for the country during the war. And then people remembered that afterwards. And they got a lot of, the, you know, they built up a lot of goodwill doing that. Yeah. It's, obviously, it's not something, something every every company could do, but, you know, it's kind of looking for those opportunities just to make yourself front of mind for a customer so that they come to you and you're not just relying on putting ads out there to bring, bring customers in. I think it's really interesting that I I didn't know, I I didn't know that Marks and Spencer had done that, but you know, I I think again, this is coming back to something we, we, we've kind of touched on in this chat today is that, you know, the, the, the fund fundamental, psychology of 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 individuals i think you know people in general like like other people or companies that do positive things that do good and 
you know, that the, I guess what you're, what you're saying with Marks and Spencer's because what they did at a time of need was, was, was very relevant um, and, and very beneficial that the resonance of, of what they did in the sense of doing good had an impact, a continued impact ongoing after, after the Second World War. And, you know, it's clearly going to be very relevant now with, with what's going on as we fight coronavirus. And, you know, those businesses that do something to help in this day and age, um, in whatever way they do, um, will, will benefit from the good things they're doing now, uh, further down the line, hopefully three, six months from now, um, you know, that goodwill will be remembered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely uh, quite a few companies out there doing things particularly for the NHS, um, which is great. God, God bless them. So finally, Final question for now, or for the podcast. Um, if you could kill off one marketing channel or tactic, what would it be? Oh, not a channel or a tactic, but ad fraud in, in the app space. We're very, very good at filtering it out. And there are a lot of tools out there. There's, you know, a lot of the ad tech um, attribution businesses do a really good job of it. But, you know, for, for, for a lot of a lot of app businesses that are going into the acquisition space with without real understanding um, and and get tempted into buying cheap downloads off um, networks uh, that are utilizing um, more often than not not intentionally um, you know poor traffic that has that is you know, fraudulent in many ways, um, you know, whether that's bot traffic, whether it's, um, you know, uh, organic traffic that is being, being classed as, as paid, you know, it, it's, it's a huge frustration. Um, it has a big impact on the quality of, of clearly on, of downloads, the cost of real downloads, um, yeah, user retention. Uh, so fundamentally it has a massive impact in, in overall, user acquisition in the space if if it's not managed um and uh, you know i, I would say it, it's potentially put a lot of a lot of startups out of business where where they've actually unwittingly um been been uh, forced down channels where they're 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 actually buying poor fraudulent quality users and does yeah so does this tend to happen where um the the business itself is has gone into a channel uh, and and accidentally bought, you know, paying for really bad traffic or is there a case that potentially companies are attacking other companies with it? I'm not sure if it happens much, but. No, it's interesting. I I don't think, I don't think that the, 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 the companies attacking other companies is, is, is the case. I, I think, I think you know we're all very complicit in this because you know there's there's a tendency for people for for businesses to go to networks and say you know I want the cheapest download possible I, I want to get a download for ten cents and as a consequence of that the networks would then go out and find a download for ten cents um, more often than not that download is going to be a fraudulent download so you know it, it's not. It, it, what, what I'm saying here is, is we have to be, whether we're an agency or whether we're an app owner, uh, whether we're an intermediary, whether we're, we're a, um, a network, 
we have to be responsible to say, look, you know, there is a value to what we do and there is a cost to, to, to gaining a user. Um, and realistically, you know, to get a user below what you could potentially be buying on Facebook, less, you know, 20 or 30% or, or after uh, below that, you're starting to get into uh, areas that, that, that are going to be some, you know, at worst fraudulent, at best uh, naive in terms of, uh, of how you download those individuals. So we have to understand the value of a user is the value of the user, not a 10 cent download. Yeah, it's that, that saying you get what you pay for, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you don't want to pay you don't want to pay over the odds for them. That's the key. But you know, if if you can make a hundred dollars out of a user over twelve months, then trying to get that user for twenty cents is probably not gonna work for you because you won't get that user that downloaded for twenty cents. You might have to pay five dollars, six dollars, seven dollars for that engaged user. Yeah, and I think what obviously everyone wants the cheapest users, um, and I think you know every business is going to be thinking, well, we want them at the cheapest possible price. But you've got to be looking at, you know, what is the expected lifetime value of these customers, and and what are we happy to pay? So, like yeah. I say, if you if you if you're going to get a hundred dollars off someone, then you probably should be happy to pay ten, twenty, even maybe thirty dollars, because you're going to pay for yourself you know, maybe up to 10 times over, that's fine. There's money yeah. there to then pay for your costs, pay for staff and things. And if you, once you scale it up and you're doing tens of thousands of people at that, at those prices, you know, it works. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I've had it, uh, in fact, I think it was uh, just before I, I did a little bit of work with you. Um, I was working for an app and we got installs for about 50 pence. And these installs were, and it was a particular type of ad that worked really well. So obviously the company started spending more money on them and pushing them out wider. Um, and then when we looked at the actual user metrics, people weren't, uh, people were basically using the free trial, uh, you know, doing what they'd uh, come to do through that particular ad and then leaving yeah. because they were super cheap people who were never going to pay the, the subscription price we were asking for at that time. Yeah. And yeah. then so once you kind of dig into the metrics, you go, well, actually, these are these ads and might be generating hundreds of users at such a cheap cost, but they're just there's there's no value at all here. We're not getting any subscribers. Yeah. So actually our, our CPA might have been like three, four hundred pounds because we weren't actually converting any of them. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that also highlights another key thing we talked about earlier, which is the data architecture, understanding, getting clear understanding of who your users are where they're coming from what they're doing within the app you know so i i can't again i can't emphasize emphasize enough how important getting the right data uh, is is in terms of your overall success because it again that's a great example of how understanding your users can make a big impact on where you spend your advertising money yeah and then the same at the, at the under kind of the other end of the the system, you know, the, the really valuable users, if you're identifying where they're coming from, what they're doing, like what, what, you know, what they're spending money on or, or what their engagement is with a subscription, you can then tailor your onboarding experience, your, the actual product experience itself, your emails, your push notifications and your ads 
and you should be able to find more of those customers, convert more of those customers, and you've hopefully got a successful business. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's sounds simple. As <laughs> it's as easy as that, Will. <laughs> cool. Well, Mick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, really, really interesting stuff about uh, about apps. Um, I know I've done a bit of work in apps before, but um, obviously, speaking to an expert, you know, I've, I've learned a lot today. Yeah, no, great. Thank you very much, Will, for the opportunity to chat to you, answer your questions, and obviously be part of this podcast. I, I hope it's a huge success. Thank you. Cheers. Lovely stuff there from Mick. I think one of the biggest things to come out of that is that you need to be focusing on product engagement and customer retention. If you're not doing this properly, you'll lose about 80% of your users within about three months. And it's a huge amount of money and time and effort that you've wasted. And I've seen this happen myself. I've seen what happens if you rely on customer service, email marketing, and other marketing communications. No matter how good you are at those channels, if the product itself isn't working hard to retain your customers, they'll churn. And once they've churned, they're gone for good. About one in four people abandon an app after the first use. So you haven't even got time to rely on these other channels to you know, explain what your app does or you know, answer questions. Once they've deleted the app, it's gone. And pretty soon after that, the unsubscribe from marketing will come as well. So make sure you've got proper analytics set up within your app. So you can see not only what individuals and different cohorts are achieving with the product or service, but also how they move around and engage with the functionality of the app. In a similar way to an e-commerce store where you'd want to know what items individuals are purchasing, what their average order values are, etc. So you can personalize communications and begin to segment customers. You also want to know more generally how people are actually browsing the Apple website. Are you making them take a more complicated journey than necessary? If you're new to the mobile space and want some advice or even have an existing mobile app, please don't hesitate to contact Mick or myself. That's all for today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. And if you have any questions about mobile apps and growth, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. In the next episode of Customers Who Click, I'll be speaking with James Bott, founder of the ASO company, now part of Jellyfish Group, where he's the chief solutions officer for mobile. We'll be talking about ASO, mobile strategy, and of course, some marketing pet peeves. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Yeah.